Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Central, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus. I'm grateful for you here in this sanctuary and you worshiping with us online together this morning as well. Well, we're in a new year and we begin a new sermon series on the book of Galatians, and I'm really excited about us studying Galatians together, in part because Galatians is such a balm to our soul. It's a torpedo to our self-righteousness, a bomb to our self-determination. It's destruction to the slavery to our sin, and it begins to rebuild us. It rebuilds us with a sense of who we are that is vastly different than that which the world tells us. The book of Galatians teaches us that grace changes everything. Where does it come from? Well, you might know that Paul and Barnabas went through the cities in their first missionary journey and planted churches throughout this Roman province of Galatia. And soon after they left, Jewish Christians called Judaizers came in behind them to disrupt that gospel foundation that Paul and Barnabas had begun. These false teachers sought to diminish the Galatian Christians' trust in Paul as an apostle, and they sought to get them to uh, become what they understood to be real Christians, growing real disciples. And what that meant is they would follow Jesus, but also practice Judaism. They had to keep the dietary laws. They needed to be circumcised, and, and all the rest, these Judaizers taught that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need Jesus and all these other things too, Christ plus. Paul wrote this letter in response, in, in astonishment, he says, because when we begin with Christ plus, we've lost the gospel that saves us. Well, what does that have to do with us this morning? I think it's true that if we can search our hearts and be honest about them, then that same heart that looks for all these kinds of things to do in order to feel right with God, that same heart is within each one of us this morning. In every seat, in every pew, we all look for ways to work ourselves into good standing with God. It's part of our fallen nature. We want to contribute. We, we feel like we need to help God out a little bit. We want to take credit for some of the good that we do in our lives. But that's not the economy of progress and growth in the kingdom of God. So Paul comes to set our feet back firmly upon this foundation of the gospel that grace changes everything. This morning, we're going to start something new also since it's a new year. We're going to affirm our trust in God's word and, and, and in his power by responding with a verse from Isaiah chapter 40. So you'll see our scripture passage for today, Galatians 1, 1 to 5, printed in your bulletin. And following it, you will see a verse from Isaiah 40 that we will say together as a family of God. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we ask that by your spirit you would open our eyes and open our hearts to your word here. Enable us to see Jesus and embrace him for all who he is. Save us, help us, defend us, we pray, through your grace. Amen. Hear God's word, Galatians 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our God shall stand forever. Some of you know the name Vince Lombardi. He was one of the best football coaches ever to, to grace the game. In 1959, he became the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, and he won Coach of the Year. As a rookie, he won Coach of the Year. And his quips and his comments about life and about the game have become legendary. In one halftime performance that was particularly poor by the Packers, Lombardi gathered his team in the locker room and all these professional athletes, and he grabbed a football, and he said, men, gather around, pay attention, this is a football. He wanted to show them they needed to get back to the basics if they were going to perform on the field. And following that, that experience at halftime, Lombardi began to open every spring training camp with the same words. He would gather all these professional athletes around and, and say, gentlemen, this is a football. I'm a coach. You're the players. He would take them outside to the empty field and point out these are the boundaries around the field. These are the yardage markers. This is the goal line. This is the game of football. This is what you're trying to do. Now, on the one hand, it, doesn't it seem ridiculous? It's, these guys have been playing football their whole lives. They didn't need such rudimentary instruction. But Lombardi's contention was that we have to dwell on the foundations of what makes us who we are in order to live like that foundation matters. These men wanted to be football players. And so they needed to dwell on the foundations, on the basics of football so that they could play like it really matters. The Apostle Paul here in Galatians takes these churches, he takes us back to the basics so that we will know who we are and live like children of God as it matters. What's the gospel foundation for the life of a Christian as the Apostle Paul lays it out in Galatians. First, the foundation is built upon a grace that works. It's built upon a grace that works. Look at verse one. Paul said, I'm an apostle, not from men, nor through man. Now this was one of the chief critiques of his ministry. That he said, he's not a real apostle, the Judaizers said. So why does it matter? Because if they could deny that he was an apostle, they could cast doubt on his being an apostle, they could cast doubt on his message too. Because the term apostle means messenger. Sometimes it simply means that a messenger who may speak and, uh, and, and be a messenger for someone else like you and I might do. But other times the word apostle in the scriptures has an exclusive meaning. It has the meaning of a messenger who carries the authority of the sender. Or as one rabbi of the day wrote, a, a man's agent or apostle is like the man himself. So when Paul says, I'm an apostle, he's asserting I'm an authoritative representative of God the Father and Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. So listen to my word because my words are the word of God, not meant to be rejected or evaluated by man. I am an authoritative messenger of God. And as we see laid out here in these verses, he's an apostle of change. Think about this with me. This was, this was Paul's very first letter that he wrote. 
somewhere around 50 AD, just the very first communication with the churches that he had planted. He began to remind them, I'm an apostle now, but do you remember who I was? Just a few years before, he had been the man who hated Christians, persecuted Christians, arrested Christians, hunted them down and killed them. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says that he was the man who was breathing out murderous threats against all of the disciples. He used to be the guy who wanted to arrest and imprison anybody who followed Jesus. And now he's the man on mission from that same Christ going to set free everyone who's enslaved by sin. What a life change. He had been a religious terrorist and now he was a pastor. He had a tender heart for those he cared for, those people he wanted to kill just a few years before. God's grace actually changes us. And it not only changed Paul, but it changed the people in these churches. He wrote to these people from a pagan background in the in Roman province of Galatia. They were far from God. And yet he called them in verse two, brothers and sisters. He called them the church, the ecclesia, meaning those who are called out and belong to God. That's what the grace of the gospel does. It changes us. It rebuilds us. It, it, it redirects us. It gives us a whole new identity and way of life. The grace of the gospel of God goes to work in our lives. But I find it interesting the way that Paul described these churches. And just a few verses later, he would wonder if his labor had been in vain. He would call them foolish for forgetting these foundational truths. He even called down curses on some. And yet he continued to call them churches. Continue to call them the called out ones. How does that, how does it make sense? How do we put those two things that feel like they're in opposition, how do we make sense of them? I think it's an indication of Paul's pastoral heart. He didn't want to give up on people. He didn't want to quickly give up, but instead he wanted to persevere and to plead with people to trust Jesus and only Jesus for their salvation. Because it is the work of Jesus that saves people and builds us into this family and builds us into the church. God takes sinful people from all kinds of backgrounds and he forges us into a family where everyone is being transformed. Everyone is being changed. And now that work of God's grace might be slow. You may look at your life and even wonder, has the gospel seemed to have lost its power in my life? I'm not growing as fast as I want or where I would like. Maybe it's not yourself over whom you despair, it's someone else. You see, I wish that this person would grow in this way. It would really be a blessing if they would change in this way. Maybe it feels like the gospel works too slowly. But the promise of God from Romans 1 is that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. He doesn't say the gospel is like the power of God. He doesn't say that the gospel can be compared to the power of God. He doesn't say the gospel approximates the power of God. What Paul says is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. And it is that, gives, that, that truth gives Paul confidence. 
to trust in God's power to work in the lives of sinners like himself and those Galatian Christians and you and me. Now, there may be a time, as Paul indicates later, to move on from pleading with people. But let me ask you, is that your first inclination? Is it your first, your foundational, basic way to interact with people? Is it to persevere with them? Is it your first instinct to bear with people, to, to patiently persevere, trusting God's work in their lives? Is it your first inclination to move toward those with whom you have conflict because God is at work? To have hope that God actually works through the gospel, that he can change people, even me. Is that your first inclination? I think Paul would say to any of us who feel hopeless about the possibility of change, he would say, remember who I was. I'm an apostle now, but remember how I lived my life filled with murderous rage and and self-righteous contempt, but God worked and he made me an apostle of forgiving grace foundation calls us back to the basics gentlemen this is a football church people of God this is the gospel it works the gospel changes people as God works through it the first foundation is a grace that works secondly we see a grace that frees us from our sin. That word grace in verse three is a word, a Greek word that means the gift. And particularly here, it's a gift of divine favor toward us. But, but the news is even better than that. It's not just divine favor as if we didn't deserve God's blessing, but he gave it to us anyway. That's true, but the story is even deeper. Grace is a gift of God's demerited favor. Meaning, we receive favor when we deserve the opposite. We receive blessing when we deserve wrath. We receive forgiveness and restoration when we deserve condemnation and judgment. It's in grace, in that gift of God's grace, that he gives us a favor that we could never deserve. And in fact, we deserve exactly the opposite. And he claims us for his own. In the ancient world, grace, a gift, was given not based on the worthiness of the recipient, but it just depended upon the heart of the giver. And God's grace demonstrate his heart to us in these words in the gospel that he is a God who gives and gives and gives and gives. In fact, verse four, it says that Jesus gave himself for our sins. No one took Jesus's life from him. He laid it down voluntarily. Jesus said those words, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily and I will take it up again. Think of the magnitude of of what that means that Jesus gave himself. The God who created us took on flesh, made himself subject to the brokenness of this world, the limitations of, of human flesh, all because he wanted to, because he wanted to give himself for you. We know how painful betrayal is in our lives, and yet the creator of the universe submitted to betrayal by his own people. Even betrayal within his closest friends, saying, yep, I want that, because he wants you. 
He went to a humiliating cross in judgment for people just like that. And he says, yep, I want that cross because he wants you. Jesus voluntarily gave himself for our sins that we might be brought into his family because he wants you. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus gave himself, there it is again, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see that word grace, gift in the ancient world, always expected a return. Gifts were given. There was a grace, a gift to deepen a relationship, to, to tighten a bond between the giver and the recipient. And that same idea is here in the biblical concept of grace. His grace, his, his favor is given through offering his life for ours. And through it, he calls us out of our sin, out of our slavery to sin and into living for him. We respond to his grace with living for him. It's by his grace we don't belong to ourselves any longer. We don't live for ourselves any longer. But as we proclaim in our liturgy every single week, he died for us that we might live for him. His grace frees us from our sins. So have you embraced that truth? Have you embraced the gift of God's completely undeserved favor for you on the cross that might set you free from your sin? Have you embraced that gift that will free you to fight against sin and old habits and, and bad ways of harming people and selfishness? You can fight against it in his power. Have you received that gift of grace that enables us to say no to sin and yes to godliness by his power, by his strength within us. There is nothing else in all of creation that has the power to set you free, nothing. But Jesus does. His grace sets us free from our sin. And finally, the foundation rests upon a grace that empowers us. In Paul's day, they conceived of the world in two ages two epochs. It was this age and the age to come. It was this age where evil and sin and death seemed to reign and the age to come when God makes all things new, when he rights every wrong, where all of creation will be filled with beauty and restoration. The world was divided, this age and the age to come. Paul says in verse 4 that we are delivered from this present evil age. We've been delivered now from this present evil age. And he's saying that you and I live on the seam, as it were. It's like we're, we're living on the edge, the, the end of one age and the beginning of another. You see, with the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, this present evil age has lost its power to enslave you if you trust in him. It's that age to come has been birthed in you. The power of the gospel, God's power has been birthed in you. If you've trusted Jesus, you've been delivered from this present evil age and there is a new life within you. And now if we listen to that, it fills us with hope. Hope for ourselves and hope for the people around us because the benefits of 
of God's work aren't only eternal, but they've begun now. They've begun in deliverance right now. Paul is saying because Jesus was crucified, he was raised from the dead and ascended into the throne because he's present with you through faith in in him. You don't have to have everything that belongs to this present evil age present in you. You don't have to have it that way. He frees us from it. He delivers us from it. And he, all that relates to that future age, the fullness and the wholeness of, of God's promises, the renewal, the power of God has now begun in you if you've trusted in him. See, because of Christ and because the gift of the spirit of God, which Paul talks about a great deal later in this book, The new age has broken into this world and it's broken into your life. This present age that's full of division and superiority and self-righteousness no longer has to be present in you because he's delivered you from it. He's claimed you and me for himself that his beauty, his peace, his wholeness, his, his love might be expressed in us and through us into this world. We've not only been given Christ but also his spirit to empower us to live at this seam, to live at this intersection of the dying present evil age and the dawn of the new age to come when the Lord will right every wrong and make a new heavens and a new earth. It's a foundation of hope that he gives us to live in the Christian life and it empowers us to live the Christian life. Let me close with this story this morning. A friend of mine wrote about which superhero Christians are more like. Now, in the right company with the superhero nerds, that kind of can set off a fight. It can kind of a conflict, right? But my friend said he asked us to consider Batman and Spider-Man. Now, I'm a Batman guy. I've told you guys that before. I think he's, he has all these amazing gadgets. He has all these tools. Plus, he's incredibly strong and exceedingly rich. What gives him the ability to create and buy more gadgets and tools. It's those external tools that fuel Batman's power. But think about Spider-Man. He's got cool gadgets. But his superpowers were obtained by being bitten by a radioactive spider. How about that? <laughs> it's silly when you think about it. But just go with the superhero story. Spider-Man's nature was changed. He has a new power accessible to him. He has new power within him. Now, why why superhero lesson here? Because by the power of God's spirit, Christ within you is making you more like Spider-Man than Batman. Something from outside of you has entered your life. There's a life, there's a power that's alien to you that has changed you, come in from the outside and changed you. And you now have within you a power that you did not have before. We've been delivered from this present evil age to live now in the power, the resurrection power of the age to come. It's a foundation we have to know if we're going to live the Christian life. Foundations. Gentlemen, this is a football. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. The grace of God in the gospel changes everything. 
It works by his power to transform us through the bloody cross and the empty tomb and the occupied throne. We are now freed from the power of our sin and that same grace empowers us to live with the life of new heavens and new earth right now, right where you are, all strengthened by God's spirit within you. We can rest. We can rest on that solid foundation that only Jesus can provide. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to be your own. You've claimed us. You've justified us before the throne. The verdict of not guilty has been declared. There is now no condemnation for those who trust in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for that truth. And you sent your spirit to empower us to live for you right now. So Lord, would Would you root our hearts, root our lives, root our efforts, root our our sense of who we are in that truth that we belong to you and not to ourselves. Help us to live for you right now, we pray. And in so doing, would you make us a witness to every tribe and tongue and people and nation that Jesus is alive and he's alive here. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.